way to yield to win is to be able to step back enough, understand the dynamic in the relationship, and realize that just because somebody's saying something doesn't make it true, just because somebody's saying something doesn't mean that they themselves believe it's true. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks, it's, it's lovely to meet you in person. I've uh, been reading your stuff, well, I guess, since since Essentialism came out, which is, what, seven, eight years ago now? Something like that? Yeah, right. that's Come right. On. Thank you. Thank, thanks, for, thanks for taking the time to read it and to, to continue the conversation here in person. Yeah. yeah, it's been one of the most read books on the, in on my shelf. And you can see it's one of the few that's completely lost the dust jacket and it's just been thoroughly thumbed and beaten around and thrown into every bag I've ever had. So I, I've probably read this so many, so many times because I feel like, and many other people will probably agree who have read this, that that you need to learn these lessons over and over again. <laughs> it's not just something you know yeah. and then you apply once. You've got to keep going. So I, I know I've come back to them again, and 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 I've been a huge fan as well of the of the second book, which was mm. an extremely worthy sequel. And we can maybe get into some details of that. And um, and it's wonderful now you have the podcast as well. So you you have that, the the name of the podcast for people that want to find it up front. It's the What's Essential podcast, and and thank you for that, and and also thank you for the the compliments on the on the reading. I mean, I, I do feel quite strongly myself that that to really read a book uh is to is to read it more than once yeah um and and it's in the rereading well i suppose i think about books as categorized that way books that that i want to read many times so that it becomes a part of my thinking it becomes a part of who i am as a person and yeah. becomes transformative in the way it can be transformative and so it's high praise for me to hear from you that you would reread uh, something that I've written and um, and it, it's been one of the, the nicest surprises in writing uh, is to hear that from people that they're on the second time, the third time, the fourth time and so on. Uh, yeah. it, it feels like they're, you know, it's a compliment to them too, because they seem to understand something about ideas. Uh, yeah. you, don't, you don't read it once and become that. So thank you. Yeah, and that's it's really a book full of principles. And for it goes without saying that anybody who's listening to this who hasn't read Essentialism or Effortless, read them both in that order immediately. No, but I mean you can you can read. I think you can read Effortless without reading Essentialism, but they build on each other so beautifully. It would seem a shame not to read both. I think. Um, and as a, as a kind of general overview um, coming into it, it, it it seems to me that Essentialism was mostly about how you kind of pare down and in an increasingly complex world where it's very very difficult to deal with the multitasking inputs and drivers that the work culture and everything is putting on us. How can you kind of pursue doing more with less to, you know, catch a, uh, like a cliche on there a little bit, like um, through kind of really, uh, and, and you have like three sets of principles in there of exploring the available options and, and ways of doing that and then cutting down through eliminating and then getting into the execution. And it seemed to me that that book was so beautifully self-contained and I've recommended it to so many people over the years, both that have trained with me in um, stress proofing, stress and resilience training and in martial arts practice, interestingly, as, as a general approach, um, that it almost didn't need a sequel, I thought. And when I saw that you've written another 
book, um, Effortless. I'm like, why? What? You know, <laughs> didn't he say it all in the first one? But it's really, you've gone deep, it seems to me, into the execute portion of essentialism, sort of saying, okay, so the problem is the more efficient you get, the better you get at paring things down, the, the more essential the things that you can do. But you can still find yourself doing essential things <laughs> all day long with increasing efficiency. And, and mm-hmm. that kind of carving out the how was quite critical. And taking a whole book to explain that was very timely, I think, in the current mm-hmm. in the current climate of where people have just been juggled and buffered around by the pandemic and shifting work-life balances and things. So I, I thought it was very, very necessary. Um, so what, what really drove you seven years down the line to write a sequel or, or an addendum, if you will, to, to essentialism? What, what, why did you feel the world needed effortless in addition to essentialism? Yeah. Um, well, let me just speak to essentialism for a second uh, and then, and then speak to effortless. The, if that's okay. The sure, essentialism, uh, I just, I just wrote this, uh, just, just, we just shared it yesterday uh, that like rule one of essentialism is basically like, stop lying Hmm. about being able to do it all. Yeah. That's what it's about at the heart of it. Like that's, that's the first rule of it. At least I don't, I never wrote that in the book, but Hmm. if I have to summarize it now, because I was working with a, a a company and that's sort of what clarified that phrase for me. And, and this organization is full of some of the most capable people in the world. It's a, a global branded business. Is working with their leadership team, and they said, "You know, we just do not prioritize." They said, "We," we he said, "I said, I as a senior leader in the group, he's responsible for the global um, responsibility himself." He said, "I've been here years. I don't think I have ever one time had a person say, let's eliminate something mm. like it's non-existent.'" That's crazy. And so, and so, yeah. And, but I think it's a, I think it's a familiar experience for people inside of corporations and maybe even in their own lives is that we just keep adding and adding and adding it on the basis that we can do it all. Now I'm actually not against adding. That's part of a natural process of exploration is you be explore things, you try things, you, you expand broadly, you set new goals. I'm, 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 you know, explore is the first principle of essentialism, uh, you know, for first pillar of it. Um, but, if you do that without this first rule that I've just articulated, then you will have predictable problems. You will mm. say no to things, but by default, you won't yeah. have a proper sense of what you're saying no to. So you often will say no to the most essential things yeah. uh, because you're just reactively saying yes to all the stuff coming in. So I think essentialism continues to be maybe let's say as relevant or maybe even more relevant than when I re- wrote it. So, to your specific question now about effortless, that I think that it's a fair thing to say that 18 months into this pandemic and, the, and then these false, you know, false endings to it as well mm. now, we think it's behind us and we think it's over and, and it's not. And the, the, the immense uncertainty that people are faced with, faced because of that, but also before that, that there's like two kinds of people in the world right now. There are people who are burned out, uh, and then there are people who know they are burned out. And so if you can, if you believe that, then you start to you start beginning to have intuition about what to do about it, about what you might do differently, that you might lead differently. 
you, you might say, you might say, look, I'm not just going to say, hey, everyone, let's do more stuff. Hmm. Let's let's achieve results through grinding effort, which is what a lot of people and a lot of companies have done over the last year and a half. They've they've achieved results. They might even have achieved good results, but they themselves, the asset of themselves, uh, the asset of their relationships, and the asset of the culture on any teams they're on, have suffered, have yeah. come at a cost, and you can't do that sustainably forever you 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 can't burn out those assets forever things eventually shut down your health shuts down your relationships you know you you end up divorced you end up with strained broken relationships the culture and your team makes it very hard to get things done and Mm. so and so if you accept that that challenge but you still want to achieve more Mm. which everybody listening to this does then you have a problem because you can't work. The people listening to this, they cannot work 10 times harder, Hmm. but they want 10 times better results, let's say. Hmm. So what do you do about that? Don't don't try to do it through the things that already led you to be burned out. You've got to find a smarter, better, yes, easier strategy, not lazy Hmm. strategy, easier Hmm. strategy. Uh, and, And I think it is really timely. And the response to the book has helped to establish that for me that, that that it's um that it has the power of relevancy right now uh and and i'm sort of sorry about that um <laughs> you uh, hate to hate to be right yeah <laughs> you hate yeah, to be the prophet right. the prophet of a terrible yeah. productivity <laughs> yeah sorry not sorry uh, something like that yeah yeah so yeah it definitely seems to me that there's um there's something to be said about these trade-offs, right? The mindset of trade-offs where, um, and I think you might mention this right at the beginning of essentialism of memory serves when you're just talking about the essence of it and the mindsets of people who, who are essentialists versus non-essentialists. Um, and, and one of those is somebody who essentially accepts trade-offs. So, so an essentialist accepts that there's always going to be a trade-off with everything. There's going to be a potential opportunity cost that's lost when you say no to something, right? Um, and there's there's going to be people that are upset and not everybody's going to be entirely happy and you're going to dedicate time to this and not to this. Um, but that's opposed to somebody, as opposed to somebody who's just determined to fit it all in. They, they won't accept trade-offs. They're like, no, I need all the things. I need all the results. And I'm pretty sure that I can just make all of these happen without trade-offs. That, that's the lie, isn't it, that, that we tell ourselves, that, that we can just keep amplifying our time, our available time. And then what happens is sleep suffers, right? Diet suffers. Commitment to like other habits and routines outside of work suffer. And, and your ability, your willpower, and your, your ability to function with people on a level that's not driven by a sympathetic nervous system response that makes you just feel like you're angry and fearful of everybody all the time. All of those things suffer. So in the short term, you really can push through like that, right? And I don't think that, you know, the culture of move fast and break things and the kind of modern Silicon Valley digital pushing culture of just, let's just get this thing done and then we'll fix it later, you know? I think that does get amazing things done in the short term, but it's just not sustainable in the long term. So it's a temporal problem, isn't it? It's like, as you know, it's that you can do, get things done in sprints. You just can't do that. You can't sprint nonstop for an entire year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, when you when you try to sprint forever, right? When you when you're maybe let's say an insecure overachiever, hmm. uh, and you try to you say, "I'm just going to sprint constantly." That's my that's my strategy. Hmm. Um, then then you're going to what's going to actually happen because that's against so many um 
natural biological psychological laws <laughs> um you're going to hit up against them and what you'll actually achieve is something more like a boom and bust um approach to success where you'll start and you'll go big and you'll try the sprint and then you'll wear out fast and you'll quit either forever or mm. for a whole period of time and, th and then start again um i've used the example before uh, i suppose because i feel like it's a, a personally credible example there's all sorts of failure moments i've had um getting this wrong but with journal keeping i was very boom and bust like i want to be a you know a, a diarist I want to try and I think it's one of the ways David McCullough talks about this, that if you want to have a disproportionate impact to your generation uh, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, you just write a diary and mm -hmm. you try and you try and, you know, think be thoughtful about what you write and so on. And, and so that's been in it for a variety of reasons. It's something interesting to me. Uh, but I was very intermittent. And that's what most of us are on most of the things that matter to us. We're intermittent. At, at our goals and 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 it comes at an enormous cost hmm. um starting and stopping uh it, it, one of the costs is we don't get stuff done but the second cost is that it breaks our faith in ourselves hmm. we don't believe we can do things and then we start to say well they're so hard they must be so hard because i've tried so for so long to do this thing it must be immensely hard rising the journal is just hard and that's why i can't do it it's a, it's a consistent story uh for the behavior Hmm. um and and so but, but but actually what's really going on writing a journal is not hard it's only hard if you do it as an insecure overachiever boom and bust and hmm. what would that look like that says somebody says i'm going to write a diary i'm going to write they're going to do this journal three pages five pages long day one it's this whole it's a veritable essay and it's and it's not sustainable yeah. and as soon as you you know it's not sustainable and even by day two you may be done it might literally be a one you bought the journal you got the journal you wrote five pages and that's it you're over it's you are like there's just too much because day two you're like well i don't have another hour i'll do it tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and then day two, day two comes along day three and you're like well i don't have enough time to make up the day two now it's, i don't have two hours and so mm. it's over so where the breakthrough happened for me was when I said, okay, can I make this? Is there an effortless way to do it? It's an effortless pace. Like I know it matters. It matters for deep reasons, for my own personal reasons. Nobody else has to care about this specific goal. This is just one that mattered to me. Hmm. Uh, and I said, okay, minimum viable action is one sentence. Hmm. Right? So if you write one sentence, then you have achieved the goal. You can feel guilt-free you 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 have done it for today hmm. but the big breakthrough was actually having an upper bound not just a lower bound the upper bound it said no more than five sentences hmm. and that's the cure you see and that's a very important cure for people who want to achieve sustainable success in something you know a lifelong habit a lifelong goal with something i mean think of the difference between someone who writes you know one time five pages versus hmm. somebody who writes no more than five versus five lines but they do it for 10 years 20 years 50 years mm. their whole life yeah. and you see of course what happens and, and i started this 10 and 10 and a half years ago 10 10 and a half years ago mm. this, this this approach i haven't missed a day in 10 and a half years that's like for real mm. i don't think i have anyway uh and now of course it's, a, it's become a part of the, the the norm i don't i'm not limited to five sentences today unless i get behind for a day or two and then i'll just go okay fine you know, mm. a couple of sentences is fine. We'll just 
just be consistent. It's fine. And you, you don't get discouraged that way. Mm. Uh, but now it's a part of my thing. I go through a journal every 90 days and, and, uh, and, and, you know, pretty consistently, you know, for a year and they're this tremendous, you know, it's becoming a, a part of my craft and a part of my writing and everything has become this whole asset. So yeah. I'm just using that as an illustration that if you try to sprint all the time, yeah. you will end up in boom and bust. But if you can find the right sustainable pace, this isn't brain science. Like, I know that people have heard this stuff before, but sure. nevertheless, it is tremendously powerful what you can do if you can do it consistently for 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years. And that's really yeah. my goal with this. As mentioned in today's episode, uh, world-renowned martial arts phenomenon Martin Wheeler will be returning to North Carolina this October 21st to the 24th for our annual four-day event, the East Coast Masterclass NT. So if you haven't trained with him before, please do come find out why top-level martial arts masters like Daniel Santo and Higa Machado urge their students to train with Martin, um, and why Black Belt Magazine have labelled him the best-kept secret in the English-speaking martial arts world. This is going to be a deep multi-day exploration of fighting tactics, fusing the principles of Sistema with decades of hard-earned experience in boxing and grappling and street fighting for Martin. And this year's theme is going to be skill, strategy, and intuition. We're going to work through a layered progression across all four days. Day one, Thursday, we'll be looking at grappling concepts. Day two, striking concepts. Day three, Friday, mixed martial strategies. And then day four, we'll be using Sistema as the operating system to kind of push all of the techniques and tactics from previous days into kind of instinct, implicit guidance, and control. The numbers are limited, and it's already about two-thirds full. I think we've got about 10 spots left on it. Um, so if you do want to register, please do go to ncsystema.com slash event. That's ncsystema.com event to sign up today. Um, it's currently at 800 bucks for the four days, but if you're listening to this podcast, um, then you can put in the checkout code SFL, as in Systema for Life, at the checkout, and you will get 20% off, bringing it down to $650. So enter the code SFL at checkout, and you will be able to register for all four days for $650. If you're not able to make all four days, there's a weekend price of $350, and you can email me at the usual address to try and get details for that. Hope you can join us. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be all outdoors at Falls Lake. Um, no COVID restrictions this year because we're all vaccinated and sorted. So please do come join us um, from October 21st to the 24th for the East Coast Masterclass with Martin Wheeler. So Howie, I think this speaks to something that you were uh, we were chatting about earlier on with regards to that. Yeah, um, my, my inner Puritan wants to come out and complain. <laughs> uh, which is, so you talk about, like, I love this concept of the MVA, the minimum viable action with a lower and upper bound. And at the same time, I'm, I'm hearkening back to when I tried to do morning pages through Julian Cameron's um, book, you know, on how sort of morning journaling and writing. And she recommends, I think, 45 minutes to get all the stuff out of your mind and so part, so part of me is thinking, well, but what about the, the MED, the minimum effective dose? But what, if, what, if the one, what if what really gives me the benefit is not my two minutes of meditation in the morning, but 30? And I don't get there because I work with people on habits. And very often, you know, like the habits that they're trying to form, they're doing it at such a small level, they don't get any positive feedback in terms of results. How do you square those two, this beautiful idea of start really small and the, the fact that, that, that habits and actions you might need more than you're willing to give it to, to give you the results you want. Yeah, I love this idea of, of, uh, of um, uh, minimum viable dose. Uh, the, the, 
Is that what the term was? It was minimum MEG, effective. minimum effective dose. Minimum effective dose, that's better. Um, the, the, I think one of my responses to that is, that is that what you actually want is a kind of effortlessness throughout the whole process. And there are some paradoxical elements to effortlessness. And one of them is that if you go too small for your comfort, for your sense of achievement, then it will be hard. Um, and, and, and I think that it's still okay in the very early stages to just still monitor that. I mean, well, let's use an example. So <clears throat> I recently retook up swimming and I don't mean in any sort of any sense, any sense of semi-professional. I just mean like, I like to swim, uh, and I find it, a, a, you know, a health, healthy part of what I'm trying to do. Uh, and so I set an upper and limit middle, you know, lower bound and upper bound. Um, <clears throat> I chose, you know, the last time I'd swum before I'd done this, I've maybe up to a hundred lengths. Uh, and I thought, well, if I do a hundred today, that'll be the, uh, I won't do that again this week. I won't do that again this month. Probably I feel pretty sick if I just jump into that level. Uh, but I said, okay, but minimum for me feels like 40, right? Like, and my maximum was 40. So like I had that, it was, the, there was no, there was no <laughs> distinction between that. I was like, I'm going, I'm going to do 40, but I'm not going to do more. And, and by day two or three, I wanted to do more. Uh, but I still was like, no, until you're really back in this habit, you just maintain it. And now I've moved after maybe a month of that to 50 is my limit. I still want to do more, uh, but I just want to stay consistent so that, so that eventually you're back up to the normal level. So I do think if I'd set the, the, level at one length i'd have thought it was silly i'd have thought it was ridiculous i'd have, I'd have felt like well what was that this is not worth the effort hmm. um uh to, to uh, not not worth the hassle to get ready to to go to the, to the the community pool and so on so i think effortlessness paradoxically isn't necessarily the least possible thing uh, I think it's the right level for what you're trying to achieve. Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll use the example um, of, the, of the, the people who, you know, the two teams were trying to get to the South Pole. I mean, that's at the time, it was the most superhuman, actually impossible task. Like, and even now, even now with all our technology, if we three here on this conversation decided hey we're, we're just going to go to south pole it would still be an absolutely immense challenge to make it happen so mm. so at the time no one in human history had done it it captured the imagination of the people at the time the explorers of the time and the general public and these two teams and many had tried and failed uh, these two teams set off and they take a different approach one is the british team and they went boom and bust much as they possibly could do uh, on the good days when it's good weather days they would try and just push it force it and they, they almost deliberately did boom and bust on the bad weather days we'll hunker down in the in, in the tent but actually what happened on those days is that they uh, was complained the whole time because they were so burned out and exhausted and frustrated and that meant they made no progress on those days and and, and so it went the other team the norwegian team said okay 15 miles a day that was the that was both the upper and lower bound so even on bad weather days, they would get out there. They might make 13. It wouldn't be fully 15. That's where he wrote in his journal one time. Well, we made you know, terrible weather. We made 13 miles progress. Um, it, the plot thickens when they get to within 45 miles of the South Pole. That They have perfect weather conditions. They could, uh, if they push through on that day, 
they will get there in one day. Sledding conditions, everything. And that's what's remarkable to me is that is that still the leader said, we're doing it 15 miles per day. We're staying it. They don't even know where their competitor team is. They might The competitor team might be two days away. This might be the difference between being the first and, and, and second, which we know makes a huge difference in history, in terms of history and the competition. And they still do it. They take three days to do the last 45 miles. They get there. The distinction is that they get there 30 plus days before their competitor team. So the boom and bust approach was so much less effective than, than being consistent. The biographer, are these words, I, this, this almost, it, I almost fell off my chair when I read it. It's a tremendously good biography that's been written about, about this, the, the race, the, the, the race to the poles. Um, and, and in it, he writes the Norwegian team, he said, they achieved their goal. And this is the phrase without particular effort. Hmm. That to me is breathtaking because how can you possibly describe something of such extraordinary human endurance as being without particular effort? <laughs> and so I'm not advocating to be lazy. I'm not advocating to not take on challenges. I'm saying that if you want to achieve great things, you've got to find that sweet spot that is neither so boring or under your current level of achievement that it just is, is unsatisfying. It doesn't get you anywhere, but neither go so neither take on the 1980s type. You have to kill yourself, productivity, uh, success, language and mantras, no pain, no gain nonsense that actually is so counterproductive hmm. to performance and, and growth and so on. Uh, and, and there's the, these, these false narratives, both, both being lazy on the one hand and, and being, you know, being extreme and, and boom and bust on the other are both false narratives. They're both inconsistent with the literature we have on, on, on superior sustainable performance. And so if you can find that right sweet spot, which is a little less than what you really feel you can do. You know, so you go to like, what's, what's a, what's a, you know, just what I could accomplish and you go a little less than it mm. uh, so that you can do it over time. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, think of, think of what that would mean for someone who said, I want to learn someone who says, Oh, I'm going to learn. I've got to do it all right now. Like cram for an exam. What they can they achieve versus someone who says, I'm, I'm going to learn for the rest of my life in a serious, consistent, but sustainable way. Then now, now this is the stuff that mastery is made of. Now you can read all the all the classics in in in, in you know in Western literature. You can learn languages well into your you know. I, I've just taken up a couple of languages in my in my life, and when I was young, I thought I couldn't learn languages, and so it's been absolutely des, de, delightful experience to discover that that was just a mindset limitation. But to do it in a consistent way, to be yeah. able to do it in a calm, persistent. Uh, you know, way that you feel progress, I think is right. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that really stood out to me is that um, th th there are other books, I think, and I own a good many of them, right, <laughs> on on the idea of kind of efficiency and narrowing down. You know, you've got the the Pareto principle and its derivations of like the 80-20 idea and being like, all right, you're always going to have too much stuff. So just try and narrow down and find the 20% that's going to give you the 80% of the results. And then there's the the one thing idea, you know, try and find that one thing that if you do it, it's going to make everything else either easier 
or redundant. Like you don't need to do five other things because you got this one thing done. And that's fine, right? On, on their level, they can be interesting focusing questions, I think. You know, when you get to that eliminate stage um, in essentialism, you can use those. And I think they're really, but, but in and of themselves, they don't help. You know, <laughs> if, you, if, if you don't fully explore the landscape beforehand, um, then you can't really take a wide view of, of what that 100% is that you're looking at. And you'll probably focus too soon on the 20% that you just feel like, okay, it looks like this is going to give me more sales and that these people are more committed and or that, you know, this effort gave me more money last year. And then you'll double down on those things and then throw out a lot of babies with bathwater and that 80% that you didn't fully consider. And what I like about essentialism is that it really gives you steps towards exploring the full field before you start to cut down because that's that's really an attribution error there isn't it if you start to kind of narrow down first and you'll be like oh this 20 percent definitely paid me more and it's less time so let's do that you can get yourself into an efficiency trap where you're doing lots of what you hate if you just keep multiplying everything by 20 percent that way and then over time if you hate that 20 percent that you've delivered day after day after day after day it's not sustainable and then you fall down um and the same thing even with that focusing question about the one thing that makes everything else redundant it's like sometimes there isn't one thing and it looks like there are seven things that are all equally critical and that would all knock the ball out of the park and get you into a new place. And again, that approach, it doesn't say anything about how you get those things done. It might help you start to select between a few options, but it doesn't it, it doesn't um, help you to decide the framework in your life within which you're going to try and apply those things. And if anything, it's like, well, now I'm more efficient. Now I've multiplied my results by doing the 2080 thing. Now I can afford to cram my day with things right, <laughs> that are just pure productivity and look at my results. And there's no reason not to race to the South Pole, right? There's no reason it, you see that road ahead and you're like, yeah, it's only 45 miles. I can triple my income or whatever it's going to be. And away you go. And then you exhaust yourself and then you don't get back. And, and that's the critical thing about the South Pole, Pole story, isn't it? It's not just that that the um, that the Nordic team got there before the British team did. It's that the Nordic team made it back. <laughs> the British yeah, team did right. not come home. They did not survive the experience to tell you. So it, even if the British team got there first, let's say that last 45 miles, the Nordics were like, yeah, let's, let's do 15 miles. It'd be fine. And and the British overtook them. We still wouldn't remember the British, right? Because the, because they didn't do it. They did, It would have been a heroic failure, but it wouldn't have been, which is almost still what it's remembered as in a lot of senses, right? So actually getting it done coming home intact and living to do something else is really what you want to do it's not just get it done at all costs right oh yeah i love that it's so right to 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 finish the story as you did right <laughs> like the the british team all die on the way home because the boom and breast <laughs> approach um is because the boom and breast approach was so exhausting to them yeah, that that they that they literally it, it burned out not just their bodies which it did but also this the you know their their, their mental um, stamina was just destroyed by this approach. Mm. Uh, there was such, such discouragement on the on the days they couldn't make any progress and they felt so stuck. Uh, and so and so this this made it basically what happened and of course to tragic ends is that they made a hard thing, much, much harder still. And and that's important context because you don't, the world does not need a book called Effortless if life is easy. Mm -hmm. The only justification for doing it is because life is suffering Mm. for a lot of people a lot of the time. Maybe let's say for most people, most of the time. Mm. It is incredibly hard. And if you... If you, 
I mean, it's hard to wake up in the morning and not know what's going to happen today. We live, all of us, with uncertainty. Even mm-hmm. if we have an, a life that's quite well-ordered, which a lot of people don't, um, but, but even if they do, they still don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what disappointment's going to happen. They don't know. And so you're trying to make decisions with the imperfect information all the time. Like Life is really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a hundred ways. Um, but the problem is, that some of the mental models and strategies that we have been taught or we've picked up make it even harder than it needs to be. Yeah. And that stuff, whether like for example, overcomplicating our lives unnecessarily, overthinking something, um, complaining about things you can't control, like these things add significant burdens. What about holding on to grudges? Yeah. Uh, that that somebody, you know, that something awful has happened to us uh, and, and we're hurt by it, which is perfectly a normal part of the difficulty of life, but we endlessly stew over it and we, we, we focus on it relentlessly and keep coming back to it. We can't let go of it. These things take life's suffering uh, and the challenges of life and make them truly overburdening. And so people live in, as a result, in significant anxiety, uh, mm. struggling with depression, uh, struggling, straining in relationships that are also typically can often look like very boom and bust relationships, right? Some you're out of a relationship and it was, that was devastating and you're into a new one and you're out of that and it's devastating. And it's just this, like, this is the mix. This is the context for writing a book called effortless. It's mm-hmm. saying, because it's hard, let's look at what we could do. That's that might make it a little less hard. Uh, a little, you know, uh, T.S. Eliot wrote that, wrote it that way. Uh, what is life for, if not to make life a little less difficult for each other? And it's with that spirit that I, that I wrote effortless because, you know, that that's, we, we might got to make it, maybe if we can't even make it effortless, if that's too much, how can we make it a little less yeah. like hell? Right. Very, very timely right now. Yeah. Howie, again, I think you had another, you had something tying into this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm struck by sort of how spiritual a book this is. Like, mm. it's, it's it's really wrapped up as sort of, you know, self-help, get it all done, make it, you know, like I'm sure in, at Barnes & Noble on the stacks and when Amazon um, recommends it, it's sort of like a self-help, self-actualization book. But there, there are so many spiritual lessons and pieces of wisdom here starting with this idea of you know don't bs yourself like you know to thine own self be true to like acknowledge reality whether you think of that as god or the universe or great spirit or whatever um and then you know it's also like about um priorities as opposed to this western civilization which is all about growth and I think you see a lot of what the book is saying is that maybe that unlimited growth is not the best path forward. Maybe there are non-material dimensions, spiritual dimensions, relational dimensions. And I'm wondering if you thought about writing the book as sort of a, you know, a sermon in a way and, <laughs> and wrapping it in, in this context or whether that's just, you know, sort of my reading. Well, I will say this. Um, I don't know if you're referring to essentialism or or effortless when you specifically say this book. Well, effortless. Um, Yeah. Okay. Good. good. I read this week. (laughs) Yes. No, no. I appreciate that. Just for for context. Um, I I mean, I'm not interested in 
what I think would be typically named traditional productivity. Like I, that, that isn't something that I'm like, I just need, it's a, my mission in life to try and teach productivity hacks to people. That, that, that is not what it's about for me. You know, I mean, essentialism is not about doing more things. It's about doing more of the right things. And effortless is about doing them in the right way. And that's a very different sort of perspective on life. How can we do the right things in the right way? And, and in order to do that, I think we absolutely have to get out of um, the, the, the just reacting to, the, to, the, to what other people are currently doing and just trying to do more of whatever they're doing. I mean, I just had a, um, a Luke... Um, Oh, I can't say his last name now, but but he wrote a book called Wanting, uh, and in, in it he talks about mimetic desire, for example, and and this is that as humans, <laughs> I mean this is quite quite mind bending, but like we don't, we, most humans because we're mimetic, because we're into um, into sort of just copying what we see in other people but that's a that's a big part of our what we do is from a from being a baby onwards um that a lot of the things we think we want aren't things we want really they're things that other with they're things we think other people want hmm. so it's not even that it's what other people want it's things that we think they want become our to-do list and suddenly we're striving for things that we haven't even taken the time to think do I want this? Hmm. And so, and so there's absolutely a, there's a, there's a much deeper set of meanings with, within effortless than, than a surface. Hey, you know, just try and make yourself a little more productive by making things a little bit easier. Nothing wrong with that message. That's like level one. Uh, Hmm. But there are many levels underneath it. And, and I think, you know, it's a little bit like, well, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like, if you, if you, you know, if you want to read it at one level, great. I hope there's value there. I think there is. But as you go le- levels deeper, it becomes more interesting and more valuable mm-hmm. um, to to discover ultimately a way of living um, that does feel effortless, but not because it's not substantial. Uh, it's effortless because you're doing what you came here to do. It's effortless because you're in alignment, in attunement with something bigger than you are and that's pulling you forward in life that you wake up in the morning not oh i haven't said i gotta do it again you know this is this is rough you know okay let's go guys it's 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 you wake up and you go oh i I gotta go let's go it's Hmm. it's to live i've actually been discovering in my own life sort of new way of living which I, I want to be honest about whether I would say it was it's effortless or not, but I, but it is what I've been calling it living in go. And that doesn't mean to live without a plan. Uh, it doesn't mean that you, that you're just being reactive or random, but it is your full attention is here and you're getting a sense of guidance within. This is the next thing to do. And you're focused on doing that right now. And a sense just around the corner, you can't name it, you can't define it yet. I'm doing what I'm, I, I am doing what I came here to do. I, I know there's a big, deeper purpose in this that I can't even articulate, and you get to go forward. And the progress that is possible in Go is, my experience with it is it's absolutely remarkable. And so 
and, and, and so all of this, I think, supports your premise of your question, which is that there are deeper spiritual themes within this book um, that will help you to achieve far more of what really matters hmm. without the forcing the forcing that 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 a lot of people do where they sort of well other people do i get i need to do that too and, and they find themselves like i was at one time i was studying law and almost became a lawyer well it didn't last that long but but you know could have done and people do this well everyone else well, that's everyone else was go to law school i better, I, better I, I should do that probably and that's a professional thing i can earn money doing it and so we'll go down this whole path that is completely contradictory to what my actual sense of mission is. That was hard. Hmm. That was miserable. Hmm. Compared to that, I haven't had a hard day in my life since in my professional work. It's been effortless in comparison. Even hmm. when I've spent tremendous amounts of time reading and studying and still am and still am hungry to learn more. In fact, I'm hungrier now than I've ever been in my life to learn. Uh, and, and, but it, it, it doesn't feel forced. Hmm. So in a sense, effortless is trying to argue against a forced way of living. Don't force anything. Yep. Find what that true sense of direction and mission is. Get deep in yourself. Trust that, that somehow that deeper intelligence knows what you need to be doing and take the next action and go forward with it. Life, will, you will get far better results with far less strain. Yeah. That's, so this. Oh, sorry, Howie. Yeah. So I'm just going to quick follow up, and then to like that reminds me of the training that I've done with Glenn in the martial art that we do, where like it's never the other person <laughs> who's causing me to, you know, struggle and and effort and feel bad. It's always my internal tension. And when you mm -hmm. talk about, you know, like you can conquer the mountain, you can conquer the South Pole. Like the externals are not where that kind of <laughs> drag and effort comes from it's it's the this internal tension which you know glenn has been teaching me on a somatic level for a decade now yeah that's that's exactly where i was going with this it's it's, it's fascinating to me that you know as you were saying this, this is not effortless is not a book about kind of productivity really it's 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 a way of not i mean it can be it simplifies and supercharges productivity because of what it does as a result but um to me it, it applies as much to training and study and to kind of just individual physical and cognitive development as it does to intellectual work, right. To, to actually producing things. It's like, it's, it's a true guide to achieving that state. And it's, and it's, it was kind of marked, it was kind of salient to me that there were, you know, three major sections in the book of effortless state, effortless action, effortless results. And action talked about, you know, practical ways of starting with that first, most obvious action, just getting something done, you know, being okay with a zero draft or being courageous enough to do something rubbish, you know, and then go on there. And these are all wonderful um, these are all wonderful guides to kind of getting unstuck and 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 hacking your way through the weeds and just making some progress right um and then the effortless results like leveraging other people lifting other people up trust automation but to me those things have been talked about in different contexts right not to say that they weren't you didn't have unique takes on them in the book i think you did but i i come across those ideas on how to produce effortless actions or maintain effortless actions and leverage results before but what really sets the book apart for me um 100 was just this big upfront focus on the effortless state um mm. and in the martial arts this is really what we do i spent many many years studying aikido in japan which is literally a, a way of 
of committing yourself to a state in which you're not going to oppose incoming force. You're just redirecting physical momentum and force and even anger and fear in, in such a way that the opponent kind of undoes themselves, you know, their anger and their drive and, and their kind of um, single-minded pursuit of just doing more in order to overcome you ends up enveloping them um, because you just kind of get out of the way and allow them to tie themselves in the knot. And, and the martial art that I've been practicing for a couple of decades now that um, how he's talking about Sistema really focuses on this thing and they just call it literally the state. And so many of the things in the book just resonated with me about the approach, you know, not just in the way that we train, which is in, you know, in a playful way, in, in a way that's kind of slow enough that you can absorb new things neurologically and become kind of comfortable with quite complex situations, but not so slow that you're not challenged, that you get bored. Um, but we don't go all out immediately and just try and go through fast combinations of things and learn maneuvers. Uh, and it's more based on principles than it is on techniques. You, you're focused you're saying, okay, I could study a hundred ways to throw an arm lock and punch people, but I'm not. I'm going to study the principles of movement, of distance and timing. And from this, I'm going to I'm going to focus on what really matters. And then I will extrapolate, right? And I'll be able to do these other things as an emergent property of my understanding and my deep study and focus on, on these core principles, the things that matter. But really more than anything else, that this idea that before we can really deal with a situation that we, that we are facing, whether it's, you know, a physical conflict or whether it's like a verbal interaction, a seemingly intractable group project that's not going anywhere, what, whatever it is, you have to first kind of let go, right? And that you talk about in the effortless state, that first you have to say, start focusing on what it is that you already have. Stop panicking and just trying to kind of fight your way out of the paper bag and do the first thing that kind of occurs to you and still just take a second to pause, to breathe and to think, okay, what do I have here? I can still move my legs, right? And three people in this room still agree with me on this project. <laughs> Even though I have two blockers, I still have three people that are with me on this. Um, you know, and you can sort of see what you have. And then once you do that, then you can get the things that you lack. But if you just focus on the problem and the person that you're fighting, you get kind of tunnel visioned into that and you get that red mist and you just drive harder and faster and nothing good comes from that all that happens is the is the person that tries hardest and is more prepared to damage themselves is the one that will win short term but ultimately you both walk away damaged and whether you're damaging a, a physical person or you're damaging a relationship at work right or an argument with your wife or something you know you, you never you never do anything good by just really trying a lot harder at what you were doing before <laughs> it, if it's yeah. not working now it's probably not going to work with more effort and this yeah. this stepping back to kind of stop to release to notice and i love the the um the analogy used as, as distractions as being like cataracts on your eyes mm -hmm. and that you know like if you allow them to be there it focuses the entire way that you see the world and the situation it frames everything but if you can just take a minute to notice what it is that you might not be seeing and to remove those cataracts then you see everything more clearly and then you can discern that first obvious action then you can discern a way of creating a routine and small kind of minimal viable efforts that are going to get you there but it's that first step you know i, I think when you were alluding to people in the corporate world saying they don't prioritize I'm sure a lot of them think they do. You know, a lot of them have meetings and they're like, let's red team this and just figure out what's going on. Okay, cut this, up this product line, blah, 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 blah. But I don't think it's part of the, the modern corporate culture to be like, okay, everybody, let's really pause. Let's take a rest, a nap if necessary. Let's come back to this with fresh eyes and let's just try and see what we're not seeing, right? That I think is rare. And that's that's really where your book, I think, comes into its own for me. There's, there's so much to build on there. I mean, the, the you know, an Eastern principle that, 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 that is, you know, that grows out of martial arts 
um, which of course you'll know is is just yield to win, just even that simple idea. Uh, and yet, in in a Western mindset, or at least some of the some of our Western um, philosophy would be would just be you no, know, you just fight to win. I mean, yeah. you just have to. You just you push harder. If it's not working, push harder. Mm. Uh, and 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 of course, there are times that pushing harder gets better results. I mean, of course, that's clearly the case. But there's so. But it's like there's there's, there's a there's a path less traveled, which is can be incredibly effective. Uh, which you know yield to win. As soon as you find yourself forcing, pull back a bit. You know, maybe you're making it worse in your attempt to make it better. Maybe there's something going on that isn't obvious right now. You know, every, just about every every contentious argument we have we're ever a part of, and that doesn't—I don't mean conflict, which is a necessary, helpful, relevant part of every relationship and every interaction. Just about, um, but when we're in contentious arguments where there's a certain spirit of contention, we we are violating all of these principles we're talking about. You know, that someone says something awful to us, we say something awful back to them. We're fighting, we're putting in enormous effort and we're just making everything worse. We feel worse and worse, they feel worse and worse. We're causing all this damage. It would be so much better to you know, yield to win. What would it look like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a relationship context? You know, you, you might, you might, in the worst case scenario, I think you could say, uh, let's just come back to this. Can we just pause? Let's just get back into a different, in a better state, and come back and see how this looks. Yeah. It's, in, it's amazing how much better things look even twenty minutes later once the cortisol levels are down and once you're back into a, a, you know a closer uh, to an effortless state uh, can be. But also, you know, I've I've had things even with my my wife Anna recently where I, I've realized recently in a in a relationship that that a way to yield to win is is to be able to step back enough to understand the dynamic in the relationship and realize that just because somebody's saying something doesn't make it true, just because somebody's saying something doesn't mean that they themselves believe it's true. There can be a lot said in the moment. And if you can separate yourself for a moment, not take it so personally as I sometimes do, uh, you, it's like the moment passes without, without additional friction. And, and so, so even with my wife, Anna, where we've had these, uh, we have, you know, I mean, this 20, we're just about to celebrate 21 years of marriage, right? Like we, we, we've had, you know, I'm so glad that I'm married to Anna. There's so much to, 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 you know, to good in it. And as we try to make, develop a better relationship to become, you know, an even greater relationship, I find that the need to be able to step back and say, oh, that that's don't 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 get locked into an unhelpful argument It's just just, you know, release and let, let somebody feel what they feel right now. Let them mm -hmm. say what they say right now. As I've done that, I've been amazed at how fast a moment passes. And we're just back to how we normally are. Whereas yeah. if I take something personally, I can then you get into this forcing and and this these 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 you know these cycles that we're that that are so so unproductive and unhelpful. Mm. Uh, and so I, I find that, you know, if you're if you're in any moment in a contentious moment, you just you need to release it. 
it mm. yield to win doesn't mean giving up what you want uh but you yield to like okay i'm just not going to force something right now just going to yeah. you know and, and and i think that can be helpful beautifully put wonderful yeah my instructor vladimir vasiliev might say you know remain human when you have fight remain human and that's he'll just say it that way you know as too yeah. too often we become inhuman we become fighting apes when we get into conflicts or arguments and we don't have to we can take a step back even in the middle of it and you're absolutely right well i'm being mindful of your time greg i know you have another uh interview and or appointment to go to after this but yeah this could go on for a while from my end there's 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 so many limits to be plumbed in these books and i once again the books are essentialism and effortless and if you haven't read them you you've, you're losing out on an on an aspect of life i think and, and perspective that you can take on it so i 100 recommend everybody that's listening to this to go out and buy them right away and um, if people want to find you the podcast and um, your materials online ways that they can get in touch ask questions anything like that um where's the best um, place for them to go yeah i think if people go to um if people go to greg and just sign up for the newsletter there's a, a, a big free challenge that's going to be coming on soon uh, and lots of lots of, one minute Wednesday is a free resource that comes out every week. And then once uh, every Monday, there's a show notes for the podcast. I mean, these are all tools that I'm trying to put out there. If people, if people want to live a more essential life and if they want to do it in a way that is a more effortless way of living that essential life, you know, mm-hmm. the, these, these tools, I'm just trying to create them and make them available for people so that they can have a consistent, supportive um, you know, um, mechanism to be able to help make that more likely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'll uh, find those and put the links on the show notes to this show and uh, share with Howie also, but thank you once again for for taking the time today. This was, this was marvelous. And it was just great to meet you and get your perspectives and, and hear, as Howie said, such a bordering on spiritual with wisdom coming out of the books. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Howie. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.